0: welcome to the pastor's study
1: there's an old saying the darkest hour is just before dawn meaning when things get at their worst that's when god can step in what we're going to do on this program is look at one of the darkest passages of the bible the first half of romans chapter 3 in which the apostle paul paints a very black dark picture of mankind so that in the second half of Romans chapter 3, when he brings in the Gospel, Jesus, he will shine forth in all of his glory. But this is going to be a little bit of a depressing sermon, uh, but we need to hear this. Would you take out your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 3, and let's see what the Apostle Paul thought about mankind, and it ain't good. (laughs) Look at Romans chapter 3, and let's pray first. Father, we do want to pray that you would speak to us now through these ancient scriptures and open our eyes to see who we are and who Jesus is. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. What then, says the Apostle Paul, are we Jews any better than they, the Gentiles, the non-Jews? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Here's the first lesson. All races are equally sinful. You might think Jews are more sinful, or Gentiles, or black people, or white people, or the Iraqis, or the Germans are more sinful than other. No. Paul is teaching all races are equally sinful, all humans are equally sinful. Now you might say, but you know, you mean my grandma is just as sinful as a mass murderer like Ted Bundy? Well, I think he means grandma needs Jesus to be saved just as much as Ted Bundy did. Years ago, Ted Bundy went to the electric chair. He converted to Christ before he he was killed. And there was a man in our church, Pastor Brock, that's not fair. And poor guy just didn't get it. We're all Ted Bundy. We all deserve the electric chair. We're all equally sinful is what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. And, and another lesson from uh, Romans 3 verse 9, look at what he says. He talks about the power of sin. Next lesson, sin is a power. He doesn't use the word sins plural here. Normally, we think of sins, the bad stuff I do. Paul uses the word sin singular here, as a power. S- sin isn't just the bad stuff I do. Sin is a power that is at work in me. It's this evil force that I was born with because of Adam and Eve's uh, rebellion, and it's something I have to fight. Sin is a power. I, I remember I pre. I've, shared this before, but one of my old Lutheran professors at seminary said, we know from Romans chapter 6 that our old Adam that we were born with was drowned in baptism. But we learned quickly, he's a pretty good swimmer. Meaning, we have to fight the power of sin, even though Christ has broken the power of sin for us on the cross and at our baptism, we still have to fight it. I know a man who has a has a drinking problem. And for years he's had a drinking problem. Then he got help. And for some years now, he's been coming to church. I heard recently he fell back into his own ways, old ways. Why? Well, he's still living in a house of men who were heavy drinkers. And if I could give him one piece of advice, you gotta move out of that house. We're all weak, we have to fight the power of sin look at verse 10, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, and now Paul's quoting the Old Testament, there is none righteous, not even one. Here's the next lesson. No one is good. If you go to a funeral and the pastor gets up, he was a good man. Don't you believe that? When I do a sermon, a funeral, I get a little nervous when somebody comes up, Pastor Brock, do you mind if I say a few words about Uncle Joe? And the reason I get nervous is, well, sometimes they can go on and on and on. But other than that, sometimes they say, well, I know Uncle Joe's in heaven because he was such a good man. And then I got to get up and preach the sermon, basically saying, no, he wasn't, we're all sinners. It's only by Christ's death on the cross that anybody ends up in heaven. No one is good, is what Paul says. Now, Pope Francis made a big mistake recently. He was speaking somewhere, and people came to the microphone to ask the Pope a question. You can, go, you can Google this on YouTube and see it for yourself. I'm not taking this out of context. A little boy comes to the microphone, uh, said, saying to Pope Francis, my father was an unbeliever. And we all in the family, we were all baptized. He got us all baptized, but Dad himself did not believe in God. He was an unbeliever. And Dad died. Pope Francis, will I see my father again? Pope Francis said, yes, because your father was a good man. And he didn't believe in God, but he did have you baptized. That shows that he was a good man, so you'll see him again. No, Pope, no one is good We don't get to heaven by being good and and especially by being an atheist. It was a terrible answer by the Pope. The Apostle Paul here says, no one is good. And you know, sometimes, it doesn't happen often, but somebody says, oh, Pastor Brock, you're such a good Christian. And I say to them, You don't know me. Well, oh yes, but you know, I know Pastor Brock, but God knows your heart. And my response is, that's never been a comfort. Of course he knows my heart. That's the problem, you see. No one is good. No one has a good heart. Look at verse 10, where Paul says, Romans 3.10, as it is written, here's the next lesson, base everything on scripture. In Romans chapter three, verses ten through eighteen, Paul now is going to quote the Old Testament to make his case for the sinfulness of man. Paul knew the Scriptures; he breathed the Scriptures. He could just write this, taking all Old Testament scripture to show how sinful we are. Base everything on Scripture. Do you read your Bible every day? Do, do you know what the Scriptures teach, Mom and Dad? Do you read Bible stories to your kids, Grandma and Grandpa? Do you do you talk to your kids about Jesus? Read your Bible daily. All right, now, let's ask this question. What effect does my sin have on me? Well, let's look at verse 11. Now, this is Paul quoting the Old Testament. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. So sin affects my understanding. Verse 12, all have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there's not even one. Their throat is an open grave, sin affects my throat. Uh, With their tongues, they keep deceiving, it affects my tongues. Uh, The poison of asps is under their lips, it affects my lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, it affects my my mouth. Their feet are swift to shed blood, sin affects my feet. Destruction and misery are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known. They have no fear of God. (laughs) Here's the next lesson. I believe in the total depravity of man. Luther and Calvin, the reformers, believed in the total depravity of man. That does not mean that we humans are as evil as we possibly could be, but it does mean that I've been totally affected by sin. It just doesn't affect my mind. It affects my body, my mouth, everything. Just think... Hitler killed six million Jews, the depravity of man. Do you know how many babies we've killed in America since 1973? Sixty million. I mean, take a look at America, take a look at your own life. I mean, think of what you've done in your life. Is there any doubt that Paul is on target when he talks about how evil mankind is? when someone says that they believe mankind is getting better and better moral evolution of man i think what planet are you on (laughs) uh many years ago dear abby um uh printed this poem in the newspaper Um, three monkeys sat in a coconut tree discussing things as they were said to be said one to the other now listen you two there's a rumor around that can't be true that man descended from our noble race? The very idea is a great disgrace. No monkey has ever deserted his wife, starved her babies, or ruined her life. And you've never known a mother monk to leave her babies with others to bunk, or pass from one onto the other till they scarcely know who's their mother. Here's another thing a monkey won't do, go out at night and get on a stew, or use a gun or club or a knife to take some other monkey's life. Yes, man descended, the ornery cuss, but brother, he did not descend from us, <laughs> said the monkeys in the tree. You know, I believe in the total depravity of man. Somebody said, well, I can't, I can't swallow the doctrine of the depravity of man. And the pastor said, you don't have to. You were born with it in you. One more thing, le- lesson comes from verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Here's the next lesson the problem of man is there is no fear of God. You know the problem with America? It's not the media, it's not the politicians. The problem with America? We don't fear God anymore. We used to. The Puritans who founded America, they had a fear of God. Back in 1730 was the first great American revival movement called the Great Awakening. A Puritan preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards preached the most famous sermon in American history called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I'm going to read you one paragraph of his sermon. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. God's wrath towards you burns like fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in God's eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended God infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand who holds you from falling into the fire every moment. Oh. When's the last time you heard preaching like that? You've probably never heard preaching like that, and maybe that's why there's no fear of God in America anymore. And tragic as that is, there's no fear of God in the church anymore. I'm going to say this again. I used to be part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. That denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church, pay for abortions with offering dollars. And I said on this show before, and I think it's over now, the ELCA had 30,000 teenagers for their teen assembly. Who did they put in front of them to teach the kids? A transgender activist and her 12-year-old girl, who's really a boy, trying to sell teenagers on transgenderism. I mean, when when the government or the school system tries to sell that, that's bad. When the church is selling it, it's evil. The problem with America, the problem with the church today, we don't have any fear of God. And, and it's just not them out there. I have to struggle with it. You know, the Lord convicts me, Tom, you need to stop worrying so much what people think about you. My, my goal in life is not to fear men, but to fear God. There is a tombstone in England that says, Here lies Lord Lawrence. He feared man so little because he feared God so much. There's a story of a young violinist who got on the stage to give a concert, does his first number, wonderful job, people loudly applaud. But you can tell by the look on his face that he's not pleased. So he does his second number, again wonderful, everybody applauds, but he's not pleased. Finally he does his last number, it's so good everybody jumps to their feet, standing ovation, but the whole time the young man's eyes are up in the balcony. And when he sees the old white head of his maestro go, joy comes over the young man's face. He didn't care what the crowd thought. He only wanted the approval of his maestro. And Christians, what we need to do is to fight the fear of man and to say, Lord, help me fear you and not care what other people think. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law, that's talking about God's law, Ten Commandments, the do's and don'ts. Whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Here's the next lesson. The purpose of the law, God's law, is to show us our guilt. To show us that we need a Savior. The reason God gave the Ten Commandments is to show us that we're in trouble and we need salvation. Remember, years ago, a man starts coming to the church I serve very regularly, and and he says, you know, Pastor Brock, I love this church, but what I've discovered coming to this church, how sinful I am. (laughs) You know, when you read the Bible, some of it is God's law. And it makes you feel guilty. But hallelujah, other parts of the Bible are what's called the gospel. You know, when you hear a sermon, sometimes you don't like it because it's preaching the law at you. But hopefully the preacher will also preach what's called the gospel at you, the good news that there's forgiveness in Christ. But um, the purpose of the law is to get us to see that we need the gospel. And then verse 20. Romans 3, verse 20. Because by works of the law, that means by being good basically, no flesh, no human, will be justified. That means declared righteous in God's sight. For through the law, God's law, comes the knowledge of sin. Here's the last lesson. Good works do not save. Jesus said this to the Jews in John chapter 7. Did not Moses give you the law, but none of you keeps the law? Good works do not save. I thought of many years ago my last year of college, I was part of an evangelism program uh, at my church. And this older man uh, and I would go out and visit the shut-ins. These are the elderly people that couldn't get to church, so we would take them to communion. But the older man uh, would always evangelize them first. And so here we go, uh, visiting a, a very old Swedish woman one night and, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, we're here to give you communion, but we just want to make sure you understand the gospel. Do you understand that we're not saved by being good because we're sinners? And she stops us, oh, if you ain't got Jesus, you ain't got nothing. Well, that, that's right, Mrs. And, and you just we want to make sure, you know, a lot of people think you get to heaven by being good. That doesn't work. Oh, no, oh, if you ain't got Jesus, you ain't got nothing. And, and we, finally, she kept saying, finally, he gave her communion. We left the house and he looks at me. I think she gets it. <laughs> the point being, you can't be saved by being good because you're not. It's only by Christ. Here's what, here's what we've learned. Paul paints a very dark picture of mankind in Romans chapter 3, the first half. Now we're going to get to the second half when he brings Jesus in, the gospel. He's preached the law. Now he's going to preach the good news. Jesus is going to come in now, shine forth in all of his glory for all who will trust him for the forgiveness of sins. So this is called the law gospel distinction. We're gonna talk with Jackie about what exactly is the gospel. Amen.
2: Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Rock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, my first question for you today in light of what you've preached on today is what exactly is the law that paul is talking about in romans
1: Mm three i want to talk about the law gospel distinction lutherans are big on this luther was big on this that the bible teaches law that shows god condemns our sin it also preaches gospel the good news that our sins are forgiven through christ but there you need to know the proper distinction between law and gospel for instance you preach the law to afflict the comfortable. You preach the gospel to comfort the afflicted. And I, I, I'll just give you an example. When I was in, uh, doing campus ministry years ago, a young woman comes into the office, uh, Pastor Brock, my boyfriend and I are living together. I don't think anything's wrong with it because I had preached against it. And she, she was just adamant, nothing's wrong with it. So I preached the law to her. First Corinthians 6 says, fornicators don't go to heaven. Your soul's in trouble. I think it was the same night, second college girl comes in. Well, Pastor Brock, I heard your sermon or whatever. And my boyfriend and I, and she burst into tears. I didn't need to preach the gospel, the law to her. She already had it in her conscience. I just preached the gospel to her. So we preached the law to afflict the comfortable. We preach the gospel to comfort the afflicted.
2: So what is the purpose of the law then? The
1: purpose of the law, Paul says in Romans 3, is to make us all accountable to God. So when, when you realize you're sinful the law is doing its work either through your conscience or through a Bible passage you read or through a sermon you heard or some friend makes makes a statement. When you're convicted of your sin, that's God's law at
2: at work, yeah. So then what does the gospel mean? Is that
1: different? The word gospel literally means the good news. And the good news is that because of Christ's death on the cross and the grace of God, our sins are forgiven. So the gospel condemns us of our sin the God, excuse me, the law condemns us of our sin. The gospel saves us from condemnation through Christ. So,
2: specifically, what specifically is the gospel than what you just the, said? The
1: gospel is, Paul defines it in First Corinthians 15, I deliver to you as of first importance that Christ, I remind you of the gospel that I preached, is how he starts, that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. So, okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's. What's, so what's the law and gospel distinction? It okay. seems like they're an awful lot of light.
1: Well, not really. Here's the deal, Jackie. People, why did God give us the law, the Ten Commandments? There's three reasons. Number one is to keep order in society. People have written on their heart that they shouldn't kill. I mean, if God's law was not written on their heart, whether they believe in Christ or not, everybody's got law, God's law on their heart, according to Romans chapter two. So God gives us the law to keep order in society. Second reason he gives us the law is to show us our sin and drive us to Christ. Third use of the law is once you're saved, it's kind of a guide on how to live. So that's the function of the law. The function of the gospel is to tell us once we realize we are sinful, that through Christ our sins are forgiven, we have a home in heaven.
2: So does one find the law or the gospel distinction in the Bible itself?
1: I I think you do because if you read Romans chapter one, Paul condemns all the Gentiles for getting into idol worship. Then you read Romans chapter two, and Paul condemns all the Jews because even though they had the law, they didn't keep it so that he can save everybody in Romans chapter three when he brings in the gospel. So I think you do find the law and gospel distinction in scripture.
2: So Pastor Brock, would you explain to us How's the best way that a person can share the gospel with someone? hmm
1: yep. Well, I mean, Jackie, when I get in front of a group of teenagers to do a confirmation or whatever, I don't rush in and say, Jesus died for your sins, because they'd yawn. They've heard that all their lives. What I do is I put the Ten Commandments on the board, and I show them how in thought, word, and deed, they've broken every one of the Ten Commandments. And when I get them to understand, do you realize you deserve hell for the way you've offended God? Then, once they've realized that, I can say, well, here's the gospel, what Jesus did to save you. He died to pay for all these sins, rose from the dead. Then the gospel makes sense, and it's very important. So you preach the law first so they see their need of Christ, and then you preach the gospel to people.
2: So do you think a preacher should preach the gospel every week?
1: In one way or another, yes. I remember when I was being trained in preaching, my... A supervisor said, you have to a- a- when you preach a sermon, you have to ask the question, could that sermon have been preached had Jesus not died on the cross? And if the answer is yes, you didn't preach the gospel. So in one way or another, you want to get the gospel into every sermon.
2: Okay, so then when do we need to hear the law, and when do we need to hear the gospel?
1: If, if someone is hard-hearted and impenitent, living in sin, they need to hear the law that they're in trouble. But if someone is sorry for their sin, they trust in Christ. They don't need to hear the gospel, uh, the law, at that point because they've already heard it. They need to hear the gospel that your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake.
2: You know, it seems like though that that's a hard thing to break down and to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we get so confused and so wrapped up thinking that we have to be good. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you do about that to get people on the right track? Right.
1: As you know, you ask people, do you think you're going to heaven? Most think they are. How are you getting there? Well, I think I've been good Good. enough. And they don't get it. And why is it that people have that lie in them that I'm going to earn heaven by my own goodness? I think it's evil human pride that I don't need a savior. I'm going to do this myself. Thank you. And so I think it's it? If the Holy Spirit doesn't open your eyes to see how sinful you are, you're going to be like the rest of humankind, just thinking, well, I hope I'm good enough, you know. But when God opens your eyes to your sinfulness through the law, that's when Christ becomes precious to us.
2: But, you know, everyone falls short again and again and Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. If we've got this, do
1: we do that? Yeah. Well, here's the deal. (laughs) Um, I... I'm better than I once was, but I'm not gonna be perfect till heaven because I still have to fight my evil flesh that I was born with, the human nature. So we we won't be perfect till heaven, but gratefully, Jackie, I'm not what I used to be. God has made a difference in my life, so.
2: But we're not perfect yet. No. No. And we won't be perfect. Not till heaven. Heaven.
1: That doesn't mean, though, you won't have significant progress in overcoming sin. You know, like I talked to some guy that was a drug addict. He hasn't touched drugs for eight years. Not one fall. Um, So, you know, it's possible. But on the other hand, if you do fall, you repent, you come to Christ for forgiveness, take communion, et cetera. But
2: people people can't just keep doing that and keep sinning.
1: Well, You need to repent every time you sin, Um, yeah. But you know, I think everybody has committed the same sin more than once, and there's still forgiveness anytime you truly come to Christ.
2: But you have to come every time. You do. And he still loves us enough to forgive us. You know,
1: Jesus, Peter said, Jesus, do I have to forgive my brother seven times a day? Jesus said, no, 70 times seven a day, which means God is at least doing that for us.
2: You've got less than a minute left, Tom. Do you want to say anything to people? Well,
1: just thank you, everybody, for your prayers for our ministry. We get good mail from all over the country now because we're on all over the country. And if you want to partner with us and support us so we can reach even more TV stations because when the funds come in, we just keep adding stations so you can see our website. Uh, that's one way people support us is through the website, or there's, there'll be an address, too, for the pastor's study. So thanks, everybody. See you next time.